0: Right. Here we are, Friday. Uh, We took last week off, but it is my uh, favorite time of the week. I get to talk about API storytelling. So without much more, let me bring on Aiden.
1: Hey, Aiden. Hey, Ken. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I missed you last week. Yeah, I miss you too. I got to do uh, my first outdoor comedy, though. I actually did it last week, which was awesome. Nice outdoors, like with other people. I stood on a barrel, and people were like forty feet away. I think that's how old comedians used to do it. So it was very, it was very much like a throwback to the olden days.
0: Um, okay, we got to do another se- a session dedicated to standing on a barrel. Like we got to just go down that road. But let's get Mike in here before we don't want to get derailed here.
2: Uh, let's bring Mike on. What's up, Mike? Hey there. How you doing? You can hear me okay? can. All right. I had a little brief moment when I saw the two of you talking and I couldn't hear a thing. I freaked out, but it's all good. It's all good now. It's all good. Okay. Audio, audio yeah. difficulties. Oh. Uh-oh. Uh, we're skipping. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how it goes here. Uh, all right. We'll do it.
0: Um, all right. <laughs> well, we took last week off. I um, hope you guys got some rest.
2: Definitely, I've, I've been I've been swamped. Things are picking up. I got to kind of manage my time a little better. I applaud your uh, your uh, aspiration of a mental health day. I just haven't been able to put one together yet. Yeah, uh,
0: sometimes you just got to have the CEO mandate it. Is ah, what I learned. But not cool. a, not cool. all of us listen, unfortunately. I I still worked a little bit, but
2: we my might. boss is a slave driver.
0: <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, he
0: is. I've known him for a lot of years. He's
1: horrible. He's, yeah, he's so terrible. Like, like you should write him a letter. He might respond to that.
2: You think? You think it might yeah. just you know, just aggravate him? I don't know.
1: We'll see. <laughs> so, uh, who do we got joining us today, Mike?
2: So, I'm I'm really happy to to uh, bring to the to the storytelling uh, uh, series, Aliana Inzana. I've known Aliana for uh, a couple of years. She's currently at Smart Bear. Senior Director of API Product Management. But I know from talking with her, every time we talk, we we enjoy so many things. She's got a degree in molecular biology. She's worked as a licensed stockbroker. She's been involved in futures trading for, for natural gas services, sending ships all over the world. She's got a fantastic uh, set of experiences in APIs and product management in general. So I'm really happy she's coming. I'm looking forward to her joining us today. Wow, I'm a little blown
0: away. Okay, well let me bring right. her on. This let's just All get yeah. her in here.
3: Hey, there <laughs> you are. How you doing? Oh man, I got an hour to live up to that intro? That's crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is kind of bad. Aiden knows what I just did, right? I just I just said, you're gonna love this person so much. This is the worst thing for me to do, right, Aiden?
1: <laughs> I think I think she'll live up to it. We, I but I knew none of these other stories um, about wow. your, your older careers last time we talked, it didn't come up. So I'm really excited to hear more.
3: You know, um, we could probably fill a, a couple of podcasts, but but I think it's actually really great to to talk about it in the context of storytelling, right? Because I don't know, I think a lot of people think of storytelling and they think of like, I am developing a narrative and I'm going to do like the outline and then I'm going to do the putting the flesh on the bones and I'm going to, And stories don't necessarily happen like that. And I think the thing that is kind of cool in like wherever we wind up going today is at the end of the journey, that's the story. That's the story we're meant to tell today. And that's the stuff that people are meant to get out of it. and I've had to become something of a storyteller to actually knit together, like, so molecular cell biology, and now you're building API products, and what about your engineering degree? I'm like, what engineering degree? So, you know, it's it's been interesting as a woman in tech, as a woman in the energy industry or in finance, like, to set my place at the table with the stories, to use the narrative to introduce the value that I can provide and the the perspective that I bring, and then to just figure out, like, well, how in heck did I wind up where I wound up and doing what I do? And it took a lot of introspection to actually figure out, like, oh, yeah, there there's, there is narrative structure. We didn't start out with narrative structure, but it's there. <laughs> so I'm actually really excited to join the, the podcast today. And I've loved the previous episodes. I think that the the emphasis is right on because in the end the story is the thing the story is what stays with you
1: i'm reminded of uh the george box quote uh all models are wrong some models are useful um, <laughs> and i like literally change model for story all the time um, <laughs> and it really just depends on uh, what i heard in, in in your intro there is like you can tell the story in you know forward or backwards you have to find the one that works for you in the moment. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear a little bit about like how you uh, how you chose these stories, how, how they came to be um, and which ones you've like, you've really um, made a part of your identity and which ones you've sort of said like, these ones can go over here. And um, that's always exciting to me to hear like how these all come together and how we, we build the narrative interactively.
3: Absolutely.
1: So how do? So the the
0: financial story, the the molecular biology, (laughs) are those still those are those past stories, or are those still influencing your API realm? Would you
3: say? You know, I think that that's a great question because the answer really is like yes and no. Like, am I you know doing futures trading with APIs or anything like that? No, no, I'm not. But at the same time, you know, my role in in tech now is as a product manager. And to me, being a product manager is being storyteller-in-chief to your product organization. And the thing that I think, like, each part, each persona, work persona that I embodied at a different time has brought something to the one that I embody now. Like, You know, one of the first things I I remember my first boss saying when I was at Morgan Stanley was, um, because he said it all the time, was paper trail, paper trail, paper trail. And to me, that's just like, you know, I was a scientist, so that's like, you don't like toss out bad experiments or something that, you know, I sneezed in that one. You don't, you don't get rid of it because there's something that you learn from every experiment. And then when I was doing, you know, institutional asset management and we were talking to private equity firms and hedge funds and like all of these crazy people, like you had to maintain documentation of like, what did they say they were gonna do? Are they following the, the, the rubric that they set out for themselves? So, you know, when I think about, okay, you know, as a stockbroker, you learn, set your stop loss before you go in. You learn how to interrogate and and recognize patterns to make investments. And you also learn how to probe a little bit deeper when you're talking with an organization or a person about what are their objectives? What are their goals? Because, you know, you could, I could tell you, well, I can, I can tolerate a whole ton of risk. Well, really like you know what is the next thing that you're you're planning on doing with your life um oh, i'm i'm gonna get married we're about to buy a house like should i be investing you in stocks that like you could wipe yourself out and like you have a house buying thing that's about to happen so it really i think if you allow it to it can inform what you do in the present all of the things you've been and done in the past but the thing that I think people lack and it's it's why I think this is so important. Is the ability to tell themselves the story of how they got there, because if they could tell that story to themselves, if they could explain to themselves how they got there, and I've had more challenge doing that than probably most would, then you can actually take the, the good stuff with you, and you know the bad stuff you can choose to. And that I think is it's a it's an uncommon skill today, and it's one that you know we don't. We don't teach it as much. We don't value it as much because we keep on thinking, oh, it's about the outcome. But the outcome in the absence of the story doesn't actually like, it it doesn't like motivate people. Like like people don't care that Bezos has a crap ton of money. It's that he started off with Amazon, like the world's ugliest book buying website. Like that's the thing that's exciting about him having a lot of money right now, how he got there. Um, And that I think is what motivates people and in the end, you know, we build software now, but it's all about People because at least at this point in time people are still the ones who are doing that They're still the ones who are deciding what's valuable constructing it experimenting with it learning um, so that that to me is kind of the That's the flow that I see at least and and kind of how past selves inform future selves even through a very strange (laughs) have to
2: get there yeah you know I think we've talked about this on this podcast before the stories that we choose to tell right the stories about ourselves or the stories we choose to tell ourselves have a kind of a you know a way of shaping our futures right Um, there's a there's a great book uh, by Tim O'Brien the things they carried which are about Vietnam era Mm -hmm. veterans and the things that happened to them and the things that they choose to dwell on the things that they can't get past or the mm-hmm. things that they, they try to forget. Right. And it, it's really telling stories through the stories that they tell themselves. And I, and I find, you know, a lot of what you're saying very similar. I have a pretty circuitous path too. I started in music and, um, all these other things. And it was a long way to get to where I am today. And I don't have a computer, and I don't have an engineering degree or a science degree at all, but, I could, I could tell that story lots of ways. Like I just stumbled here, you know, I just fell into this pure luck, no skill. I could tell the story as it prepared me in various ways. And I can tell the story about, you know, detours, or I could tell the story about a magical path that led me straight here. It's the way we talk to ourselves that sort of informs the world around us. Right. And mm-hmm. and I think, you know, you and I have talked about this before too. Um, it turns out your You've had kind of a similar experience in a lot of places, right? Your experience uh, The experience you had uh, at the brokerage experience you had in dealing with, you know, shipping uh, You know natural gas all over the world the experience you're having with api's all there are similarities that you can sort of attach to, Mm -hmm. right?
3: Yeah, um talk about the stories that we tell ourselves um sometimes it's just the phrases we repeat and one of the ones that i have a tendency to repeat is like oh we recognize this brick wall we can see our forehead print in it you know it's like (laughs) the brick wall again here it is again welcome to it but you know i mean it's interesting like as a woman in tech i'm just like try being a woman in the uh, finance in the nineties, try being a woman in the energy industry. Like, you know, I've I've done the sort of like mis- misogyny tour of duty there, right. As a <laughs> person in these industries as well. And you know what? The thing that I think is really interesting too is like, I actually started. So my mom is the CEO of a non, well, she's retired now, but she was CEO of a non-for-profit. She's a founder. She started it herself. Um, you know, she, She worked with, you know, abused kids, with uh, HIV-positive mothers and babies. Like, she did some major, major stuff. And, you know, kind of going into that theme of, like, you can't be what you can't see. When I worked in institutional asset management, so, like, major hospital systems, people where, you know, the people on the board, it was, like, the desk that Citigroup was incorporated on, you know. I was in my 20s, I was an idiot with a degree in biology. Why in heck should I have ever been in those rooms and why should those people have actually ever listened to me? But the thing was, my mom was this, you know, powerful, empowered woman, and so I was just like, of course they should listen to me because, you know, I'm maybe not their years of experience and everything, but I have a perspective. I've done the analysis like this is what in science you are taught is your bona fides. Like, you've done the analysis. You can talk about it. That's what you should do. Um, and the audience was really receptive. And I thought that was normal. And what I have come to realize as time goes by that, like, they were accepting of Ali, of me doing what I did. I don't think they would have been tremendously accepting if I brought a whole horde of women in with me <laughs> that exceptionalism, it was like, you are our one. Like it, it's not, not diversity, it's not any of those things. It's, you know, you're one of the boys, which is another narrative that might flow through a few things here. But the funny thing about it was at the time, I never, I never questioned it. And then I developed and, and, and went out into the world and developed a wider experience of the world. And I realized like, there are people who think my opinion doesn't matter. Because I'm a woman. What <laughs> bullshit is this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, it, it's it's really interesting for me because my initial, the initial story I told myself was like, I've seen it. This is what women can be. This is what women can do. And I then had the world tell me my narrative was wrong. Or like my, my context, my framing was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I had to spend years struggling with that and then as I I wound up following this kind of strangely circuitous path and there was almost like a reason for the next thing but like you know wasn't entirely clear at the time what that was (laughs) Um, but the thing that I think is really interesting about it is okay so the next thing happened and and this especially happened when I became a product manager I was regularly like the platform product manager. So I was the person who was helping subject matter experts deliver information and insight to the people, whoever those people were, whatever the the particular demographic or whatever was. Um, So it was again, like, you know, this week it was LNG, it was liquefied natural gas. Next week, um, you know, we just acquired two chemical companies, go to Houston, bring them onto the platform, Like, by the way, they've been competitors for 45 years and they hate each other. I'm just like, what? (laughs) Um, So I'm just like, what do I know about any of this? But the thing that I actually wound up finding out, again, the story you tell yourself is I was bringing new perspective to stuff. And it was a perspective that the entrenched subject matter experts, it's like they couldn't see beyond... The way that they had learned something, the way they had been taught that thing, um, and so I guess it gave me the, you know, the the brass to tell Smart bear like, yeah, I should be leading your virtualization product because I've heard of Swagger and I, you know, like, um, yeah. and you know, now I go around talking about it. But the first time that I ever did that was in the ASC that was in Vancouver. Like that was the first time I ever spoke. On APIs. So, you know, old as I am and everything else, I was dropped into the industry where it's multi-protocol. There's a lot of different ways that people are interacting with these services. There's a whole sort of new thought behind what's important and what is valued in them. Um, But yeah, I was like, just sort of dropped into the middle of it going like, I am terrified. (laughs) But by that point, I was just like, but I'll figure it out. (laughs)
2: you know i don't know if uh, if this makes sense ken i, I mean i think you know, when i when i listen to ali talking about yeah. sort of being a, somewhat of a non-traditional type or coming from a different angle uh, and and working in this api space you you've had some of that same experience as well right you don't ken you don't come from the sort of the same direction yeah. and you've been sort of odd person out before you've been you you've been the outsider in the in group more than once right Oh yeah, I mean
0: that's the foundation of who I am is always coming from that that perspective. I mean I I don't have a college degree. I'm not trained in anything. Um I actually don't have a high school diploma either. But um and so like trying to find my way to where I got here is is I mean it's too much for one podcast for sure, but definitely that imposter syndrome to a certain degree. I've had that, but I've learned to cope with that. Um for me, the opposite of you, like the the realization along the way of my privilege and, and that I'm a white man. Like I, when I, I mean, 95 through 2010, I had, I did not see it. I was just unplugged and, cl- and I was like, this is easy. I'm, I can walk into these rooms and command presence and everyone just listens to me. It's like, this is great. I'm so smart. And And <laughs> then like, and then I met this new woman that um, I'm now married to, and she started pointing certain things out to me, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh, man!" I've been operating on easy mode, and it's like, "Oh." And then I went to like went to work at the White House, and and went into yeah. you know veterans work with Veterans Affairs, mm-hmm. and what one quick thing on my past is I'm actually LNG certified to fight fires on cargo ships. I actually did that I in Abu Dhabi in 1990. I was fighting fire. So we'll go back to that another time. But, um, but so, yeah. So I, maybe our paths crossed, you know, our, our ships crossed on the sea at some point a long time ago. But uh, definitely, I mean, and if I'm too comfortable in a room, I start feeling weird now because I feel like, mm-hmm. You know, and the echo chamber of the API space, I'm constantly trying to, and that's what API Strat and Ask, you know, that became Mm -hmm. Ask was all about, is constantly mining the playing field. Who are you? What do you do? Well, I don't do APIs. Mm -hmm. I work in the train industry in the transit. Well, perfect. Come tell your story. Hey, you're, you know, who are you? Well, I work in healthcare. I don't know anything about APIs. I'm like, well, come talk about interoperability, you know? And so it's really good to hear that ask was that for you because um, that's precisely what that event is for and to anybody listening call for papers just open
2: that's right that's right Mm -hmm.
0: right yeah
3: Yeah. the the funny thing about about the ask conference was um you know i actually when i when i originally was going to go um you know ron Rutowski, who who's you know part of the swagger team he's at smart bear um you know he really kind of like I was just like, I don't know if I've been doing this like long enough. Like, and he was just like, it's, you don't have to go there and like, you know, deliver war and peace. Like it's, it's, a, it's a brief presentation. You know what you're gonna talk about beforehand and you you can totally do this. You, you can totally, you're good at speaking. You know, you you talk a lot, which is <laughs> accurate. <laughs> He's like, just, you know, write a presentation, do it. You're gonna go, it's Vancouver. Vancouver's lovely. I'm like, fine. So I go, and then maybe two days before I'm about to leave, um, Daryl uh, reaches out and says, "By the way, we're doing a, a keynote panel on API tooling. So you're going to do it together with a wonderful choice from Postman and one of the folks from Transposit and um, and and Phil Phil Sturgeon, stop like and at at that point again, you know, new to our industry and everything else my only experience of Phil, who is a lovely guy, uh, was his slightly more takedown-oriented persona when somebody said something wrong about um, uh, the specification formerly known as swagger on Twitter. And I was just like, with him? <laughs> and I was just like, Daryl, give me all the damn questions ahead of time. And like, <laughs> I was just like, are you kidding me right now? Like, no, I'm not gonna do this. And you know, Emmanuel, who was also on the committee was just like, You'll be great. Don't worry about it. And I was,
1: I was, I'm all Go ahead. I remember remember sitting in the front row when you, when you did this and you fit in naturally. I (laughs) I I got a
3: decent blooper face, I guess. (laughs) Well, you know, the
1: guy, the guy who
0: shows up is Phil. Isn't this the the thing online is AI? That's not. Phil. Yeah, <laughs> like, all, those are yeah. two different. I have
1: since come to realize there's, there's no, if you if you write a Twitter bot to find every time he says don't call it Swagger, it's like more than a human could type in a day. Like they just. There's <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, but the
0: guy, when you sit and have a pint with the person, he's oh, the he's sweetest, so, most yeah. lovely person on earth. Yeah, you I He, he never says anything confrontational. He's like super yeah. mellow, so. Yeah, I had absolutely
3: yeah. no idea. I thought he had three heads. I was just like, oh, I don't <laughs> this. Um, and and then oh, yeah, I met him. And I really was like, are are it's the same guy really for real? Like okay, because <laughs> he is. He's, we he's, love he's, you, Phil. Like,
2: yeah, Phil. We love you. Find another tree.
1: Uh, I I thought it was. It, sitting here listening to us all talk about being outsiders i i feel like it's only fair to say that none of us have an engineering degree and uh well none of the three of us do um or also too but i think your point earlier about sort of the other perspective is really interesting and i think um like one of the beautiful things about getting to pick the stories we tell is that they often are are invertible so the imposter syndrome inverts to perspective uh most of the time and i think uh if one were to go back and look at that in their own lives they can think of at least a few occasions where that outsider thing was their lace in the hole and uh write those down put that on your wall and then whenever you feel it just go look at it
3: Uh, (laughs) i could not agree with you more because you know the thing that i think is like you know so i'm a product manager right so like when i began product management it was like waterfall it was um product requirement documents which were like don't drop them on your foot like i honestly think it is a miracle that anything that anybody wanted ever was built in this way (laughs) um and so i've told this story before so i'll be very quick with it but I, i do think it's funny so i didn't realize that being a product manager was a thing one could do um, I was an LNG analyst at a company called Global Insight, later became IHS Market. Um, and I was known for solving problems. Like I was good at solving problems. Um, and there was this thing that we were building, it was called the Navigator. It was a, a means of delivering data to our customers. Somebody delivered a product requirements document, they shied it over the fence to our developers in Poland. <laughs> A couple months later they came back, I don't know what the heck it was, it was not what we were asking for. Everybody hated everybody and my boss was like, and the others, they're going to quit. Can you, here's, this is what we told them to build, can you call him on Monday and like fix this? (laughs) And I'm like, all right. So I sat down with the document and a highlighter (laughs) and it was printed, Um, and I was just like, 90% of this is crap. No one is ever going to use this. Like You need to do this and this and this and then we'll figure out the rest of it. And so I called him on Monday and I was like, "Well, don't quit. Let's unscrew up this problem. Make it do this, this, and this and, and forget about the rest of this stuff. And for Christ's sake, call me every week. No, call me every day. We're going to talk every day and we're going to figure out like what we're going to do next, what's happened, we're going to share the build, blah, blah, blah. And I now joke with this developer. He's gone on to other things and so have I. I'm like, remember when we invented Agile together? Like, wasn't that awesome? (laughs) Because I had no idea. I had no idea that being a product manager was a job. I had no idea, like, what the process was supposed to be. All I knew is that what they had done was idiotic and they didn't really think about what, like, a human being, what would they actually be doing with this stuff and how would they, like, how would their needs evolve? Um, And so once I just, you know, Discovered what it is. I wound up doing for a very long time there. Um, you know, I got trained as trained in Agile and all this other stuff, and we did the waterfall to Agile conversion, which you know I recommend to anyone who wants to better improve their patience and um, mm. question their 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 perspective on reality a lot. And you're like, didn't I ask this? Didn't I say that? Um, but what I really got out of that whole experience of, of learning to do that is, you know, as a product manager, it's always about well, what is the person doing and not being satisfied with like, you know, if I ask the customers, there's put a pink button in the middle of the page and I'm just like, I don't like pink buttons, you know, like we're not, it's not about listening to what they ask you because they're going to ask you for stuff. I have customers now. They ask me for tons of stuff. But it's for listening to what they need. And I think, like, you know, you could tie that back to absolutely anything you want. Being a good ally to the queer communities or to women. You know, it's like you may have a narrative in your head of what I need to, to you know, for the world to know what a wonderful product manager and tech person ally is, right? But it's just like, did you ask me what I need? And that's such an important aspect of what we do as product managers. Cause it's just like, well, what do you want? What do you want the outcome to be? What are you going to do with the thing that you, that, that, you know, like, cause I, like APIs, people are like, well, you know, is anybody thinking like my outcome is I want to write a YAML file. Beautiful as <laughs> they <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> like, who yeah. no, And like, for me, it's, well, somebody, I want to create a behavior. I want a billing, you know, also we're the home of Cucumber, but like I am interested in, in creating a behavior. I'm creating um, a scenario, a journey for our customer. And the customer's journey is enabled by APIs. I'm like, all right, well, why don't we build that? Because it's a fundamental shift that somebody who has been writing YAML files for a really long time may never see because That's how they do it, right? And I've done the same thing in the energy industry. I've done the same thing for, you know, even in finance, the way that we were doing asset allocation uh, at Morgan Stanley and those other companies was very different to how other people were doing it because we were really looking in our, to make the portfolio efficient and to understand risk in real time and risk and reward alpha, which now you know all the finance blogs talks about, but you know back then no one was talking real options and black Scholes uh, optimization and like all that other junk, right? Yeah. So it, it's saying it's seeing the same the same day, the same material laid out, and having a very different perspective because of the journey you've been on mm-hmm. in terms of well, how do you achieve those outcomes, and how do I talk to my customers? Uh, and, and hopefully soon to be customers about what their needs are and what they're going to do next and what the intention is. And I think like that's a skill too, that if you push too hard into the pink buttons area where your customers are just being mouthy and they're going to ask you for 50,000 things and you feel the need that you must do all those things, you will lose the opportunity to give them and deliver to them value. And that's a thing that, you know, I always try to impress upon my product teams, but also just, you know, it's how I think about building product. And I think that is that is the advantage of never being the expert in the room because I don't have that preconceived notion of like, you know, a chemical engineer who's a, you know, a purchasing manager for ethylene is going to want to do it like this because that's what they've always done.
2: You know, uh, he- hearing you talk about this, this reminds me of a thing that, that I experienced a long time ago, which is uh, I sometimes think of the opposite of storytelling is, is I, I call it active listening. Like this idea mm-hmm. of, of really paying attention. You know, the, there's the, like you were saying about customers will tell you they want a pink button. Good, good designers, good product managers. I always go, why? Mm-hmm. Like why, you know, and, and, and that's like the five whys from, uh, from the Toyota uh, mm-hmm. system and and. To just kind of dig a little. Um, there's the double diamond design pattern from a group in the UK, which I can't remember. It's the same idea, right? Aiden, does that does that sound familiar? You're kind of making making yeah, signs.
1: Yeah, so oh, I've why three times, but I like the idea of asking five.
2: <laughs> five, five, yeah, right. The yeah. Five wise, right? <laughs> but but I think all of this is is that notion when I'm not the expert in the room, which I think is going back to what Ken is saying, which is quite often. Um, I'm actively listening. I like. I'm really trying to take things in, and I'm trying to match things up with what I already know. Give me some context in the situation, and and when I'm feeling comfortable, then I also ask a lot of questions. I say, "Oh, I don't quite understand that. I don't quite get that. Can you repeat that?" And it starts to seem an awful lot like a design session, an awful lot like a collaboration session, and I think that's part of the part of the storytelling idea or, or you know ethos is also being a great listener for other people's stories. So, I think I think it kind of falls hand in hand in a, in a lot of different ways. We all need to be thinking and listening at, you know at some sort of level. I, I go back I'm just a chestnut from the Restfest days, you know. Our line at Restfest was um, everybody uh, talks and everybody listens, right? Everybody gets a chance to listen. And I think that's that's a, a big part of success no matter where you're from or Or where you're going, um, listening is a is a key to to getting to to being successful. I think.
3: I absolutely agree, and you know, I think the other part of it too is just um, you know, there's a. I think Einstein said it. If you if you told me I had an hour to that I kind (laughs) of had to solve a problem, I would spend you know 55 minutes of that hour thinking about the problem itself, and then five minutes solving it. Um and and that I think is what that really is is it's being able to sit with being uncomfortable. And I think, you know, I honestly forgive me, gentlemen, but I honestly think this is why we should have more women in product. This is why we should have more people of color, this is why we should have more queers, because We sit with discomfort friggin' every day. We sit with (laughs) discomfort when we are in the room and they assume that we were there to bring coffee. We sit in discomfort when we give a presentation and they ask the dude who basically came to, like, you know, schlep our bag a question afterwards. We are used to sitting in that Mm. discomfort, and that discomfort Mm. really is about the space before you know the answer to something. And I think when I see my teams do it, when I see, you know, like, people in the world do it. Like we're so uncomfortable with not knowing. Like who played Endora on Bewitched? Asked at a cocktail party not too long ago. Five seconds later, everyone is like this. And no one came and thought, like, what the heck's that woman's name? Like Agnes Moorhead. So like Agnes
2: Moorhead, that's right. Oh,
3: that's no one gave yeah. her room a chance it was there. I don't know, it's I don't know where my keys are, but it was there. Um <laughs> No one gave their, their brain a chance. Now we have such immediate needs, uh, immediate means of fulfilling and you know, we don't have to have the uncertainty of not knowing. And so we leap to a solution when if we listened and if we opened the listening, the, the listening window more, we could arrive at more, better, different, differently informed solutions. Yeah. And I think that's such a missed opportunity and, you know, profitability drives it in companies like like ours, like um, just the sense, you know, I, I wrote an essay once, I'd love to find where the heck I put it, but it was, uh, I called it, even if we're going backwards, like the phenomenon that like, if you're driving and you're going to be sitting in traffic for five minutes and you're like, I'm going to take a back roads way that'll take me 10 minutes, but at least you're moving forward, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's just... It, it didn't it didn't improve your situation you just couldn't sit there with it so you know i'm not saying i'm good at it mm-hmm. but i think it's something we all need to practice a bit more
1: yeah that i, I really want to like dig in and understand that this framing a little more because i I'd, I'd always thought of that einstein quote and like there's the Abe lincoln one about like sharpening the axe mm-hmm. um i've always thought about that as like be deliberate be conscious think about what you're doing and it you're you're putting forward this idea that it's like it's just like don't fidget like don't just like rush to judgment don't just do the next thing you can do like like don't just like build the house or try to cut down the tree like it's about actually letting yourself sit with the uncertainty long enough um to to be open to learning the thing that's the answer and i've I've never heard anyone frame those parables that way before and I, i really like i'm gonna sit with that for for days now and it's
2: it's going to impact me. I'm
3: here to probably. ruin your life. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. It, it's kind of like, it's the, it's the grit of sand in the oyster, right? That creates the yeah. pearl. It's the, it's the annoyance and, and being comfortable with that is, is actually a really powerful element. That's again, I, I agree with Aiden, you know, I've tended to think of those, those parables in a similar kind of way that, that you you need to practice you need to be prepared you need to be ready but that's that's a that's a very so i would say to borrow from some of what you're saying also sounds a bit zen too it's like just sit down mm-hmm. shut up <laughs> stop <laughs> give it a minute and i i really that is i will say that's very challenging for me that's like- very challenging for me
3: I mean, I'll challenge all of you to say, you know, like if you can think back to the last problem that you had and that you didn't know what to do. With, and, you know, like it might have been a work thing, it might have been a home thing, who knows. And and you're like turning it over in your head 50 different ways and you're just attacking it from all different angles. and Maybe you're trying a few things and they're failing and you're like, nah. and then you like take a shower, go for a walk with the dog, do yeah. You know, play with your kid, do something, and then you're just like, oh, it's that. Yeah. And the thing is, I think we are so and 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 the more experienced we are, especially the more experienced we are in a vertical in a in a space when we're the expert, we're expected in some sense to have the heuristics. We're expected to have the lay of the land. And so it's particularly unuseful to be the expert when the lay of the land is changing. And <laughs> if I can tell you one thing being my jam, it's industries at that weird inflection point i love them because i'm never the expert so i never have a horse in the race <laughs> i don't know what it's supposed to be and i do have a lot of heuristics in my head of you know just experience heuristics but i also think that it's about staying curious and you know i think people just they they take you know I, i'm the expert and i i'm supposed to know all these things and like some of the best like interviewing people some of the best people I've interviewed, I'm just like, well, so what do you think about gRPC? And they're like, I don't know a thing about it. And you know, if I were to come work for you, that would be something I would have to learn. And I'm just like, okay. And then we, because the people who feel too invested in being the expert are going to be like, I know it's um, it's a uh, something that begins with G, and then there's probably remote procedure <laughs> it's an R it. afterwards.
2: Yeah. This has an R. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But you know it, and and I think as developers, I think developers do value that um, they value novelty, but they also value being knowledgeable. So like yeah. building tools for them can you know sometimes be a treat because you're just like look at something shiny and they're like ooh you know <laughs> um, and and off they trot. Um, I, I did with with Kevin from Postman um, and uh, some of the folks from Postman Galaxy. We did like another sort of follow-up panel on Clubhouse, and it, it turned into to, um, GraphQL Fest. And so I asked one of the, the people who's kind of like stepped up and asked questions, I'm like, "Well, so why did you choose GraphQL? Like, what what made that more suitable than you know other other patterns, other protocols, other other specs?" And they're just like, "It's it's new. Like, I wanted mm-hmm. to try it. Like, basically, like it's cool. And yes. I thought, let's do that. And, you know, like there was no in that particular case, there was no like I evaluated the architecture, I considered the options, I optimized for blah as opposed to blah. And I'm just like, I wonder if that person is sort of, yes, do it, you know, like it's it's fun, it's an experiment. But you know, you can't, if you build your entire organization like that is just like, eh, what the heck, and we're gonna just try this thing. Like, at a certain point, you have to evolve a philosophy and you have to sit back and, and you know, Mike, when I saw you at the architecture conference right before, the world closed down in New York. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated, being a non-technical person, how much software architecture was like product management with like a more technical lens put over it. Like, like yep. really, like kind of gobsmacked about it. But it was, it was sitting with the problem and making sure that the answer wasn't the first one that popped into your head or the one you mm-hmm. were most comfortable with, but that you were really evaluating. Well, what am I optimizing for? What are the outcomes that I want? Um, you know what's it going to look like today? What's it going to look like in five years? Like not in a you're, you're never going to need it way, but in a I can sit with it, I can contemplate it, I can make a better choice if I don't just do the first thing that leaps to mind. And to do that means you're sitting with uncertainty, you're sitting with discomfort, and it's yeah, I think it's as vital a skill as any for programming or for anything.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I think I think that you know we talked about this I think in New York at the time right because. Um, so much of, of what I end up talking about is always talking about weighing options. You know, you're, there is no single choice. There is no single direction. Um, I was, I've been reading uh, Gregor Hoppe's series. Gregor, Gregor is writing all these books, these these sort of quick book experiences uh, that he's publishing through LeanPub, and I'm on his cloud strategy one right now. And mm-hmm. one of the things that that really hits me that he, he says so well, he, and I, I think it's a quote he has, Um, the decision you make is only interesting if there was also an equally valid decision that you didn't make. Mm -hmm. In other words, now that's impactful, right? If the decisions were fait accompli, if you had no choice, then you're really not doing anything. But if you hit a crossroads and you have to decide between two seemingly equal options, that's an impactful decision. That's Mm -hmm. your job as as a manager, as a product manager, as an architect or whatever. So that sort of hit me. Yeah. Most of the most of the things we do, there's no clear shot here. I'm doing the best I can, mm-hmm. and I think that that fits in a lot with you know with kind of what you're saying now. Yeah, I don't know. Are you you know, Aiden, you you're in a product space. Is, is is that does that strike you at all, or is that just BS?
1: No, I think I think there's. Um, well, the thing I want to expand on. First of all, we also I saw you in New York like five days before the world closed too, Mike. <laughs> Because you were at that conference,
2: that's that's exactly right. Yeah. I hadn't yeah, thought we about were, that.
1: Yeah, we yeah got, we, had we
2: met in the, like nuts. the bar or something, and, right? Yeah, we had nuts and
1: ginger beer. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Nuts and beer. It was wonderful. Um, like we we're all doing
2: our, all the things we shouldn't be doing, right? We were sitting <laughs> in the lo- in a busy lobby where people were passing around, putting our hands in in a bowl of nuts and drinking <laughs> beers and talking loud. No,
1: but but yeah,
3: people
1: but, but, but Ali, when you were talking about it. Um, it isn't just like product and architecture. It's like everything is this, like uh, the, the world is this like fractal thing and at all layers, like the answer <laughs> is pretty much the same. Um, and yeah, like it's about having the right perspective. It's about sitting with a problem long enough. And I think, uh, you know, what we were talking about earlier about like giving people what they what they want, you know, the, the, the products we really remember, they change the unit economics and they change the behaviors in such profound ways that it's like no longer possible to give the people what they want because like they're just, there's not a place for, gil, for gilded carriages anymore because there are cars <laughs> racing by. Like it's not even it's not even a possibility to provide the people what they said they wanted a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the, uh, you know, you see that with, with the cloud, like, you know, like in the early, early days, like people were like, what if it's Salesforce though, but it's in my data center. And it's like, well, that, <laughs> no. And and, and Mark (laughs) said no enough times that Salesforce has a tower. Um, And uh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if you say no to everything in life, you don't necessarily end up with a tower, but uh, no (laughs) one who ends up with a tower doesn't say no to a lot of things in life. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there's something like deep and encoded in that whole idea that the only way to actually solve a problem for real is to change the mechanics of the problem in a way that that problem kind of is invisible. And mm-hmm. I was actually just talking with a, a product guy um, that I'm, I'm interviewing that I'm going to publish an interview with with this person, and a few other product people. But um, one of the points that, that this person said that blew my mind was like, if you're not creating other problems that are on the same par as the problem you saw for the people, then all you're doing is patching their problems or catching them. And I was like, <laughs> going to take that's wow. going to take a week to yeah. figure out. Yeah. It's like a Cohen all great product advice is like a cohen You just have to sit with it until it, until it no longer is valid.
3: <laughs>
2: very good, very good. Oh,
3: my goodness. Oh, but, you know, it, it is, and the other thing, like, another lens on what Mike said, too, though, and, and, to say, and actually that same sort of comment is, um, and, and this is one that I, I seem to say a lot, is If we're saying yes to doing this, what are we saying no to? Because like resource finite. So you have like some of the most effective lessons that I've learned and and it wasn't necessarily in product that I learned them was it's always horse trading and (laughs) you know, you could defer risk, you could defer return, you could defer, um, you know, any one element or whatever, but if you're saying yes to the thing right now, then you're saying no to something else. And I think too often we're very conscious of what we're we're saying yes to. And God knows, look at the way we're all overscheduled, I'm sure, like we say yes too much. We don't actually make that trade-off and, and, and pay the price personally and, and, you know, in other ways. But in addition to that, I think it's also like, if we just say yes, we're not we're not actually cataloging the cost of the thing because that's a, you know, I mean, in product, it's just like, all right, like, you know, we're gonna stop work on, you know, the blue button to, you know, begin work on the gray button. And now we are, you'll have neither a gray button or a blue button for the next X sprints and, you know, whatever, but like you, There's a point where the trade-off and the value is important. And that's why, so like tying back to to the Ask conference, what I was actually presenting on that day was the IKEA effect, was the endowment effect. Like the fact that once you've built something, whether or not you've built the right thing, you are going to attach value to it. Like the same way that once you've suffered through building an IKEA dresser, You're going to attach more value to that ridiculous piece of particle board than the price like you know if once you've built it if you spent two hundred dollars on it you will not sell it for like four (laughs) hundred dollars part of it is your your but it's your sum cost right and the thing is for two hundred dollars and i think like you know when we look at that from an api perspective that's why i said your virtualization you you try it out you try it out at a point at which you're not as married to it, you're not as committed to it, and you're in the mind space to accept feedback and allow that feedback to change your mind. And then like, you know, I, I often say like, I wish people were like cabs in New York City, like when they're when they're open, the little light goes on. Because like, how many times have you had a conversation with somebody and you're like, I'm really trying to persuade you of this thing. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh.
2: <laughs> you know, and it's
3: just like their light's not on. No matter what you said to them, you can say and I'm gonna plate it in gold, and they'd just be like, Nope, I am not open to be persuaded. I'm I'm not curious about that anymore. And and that to me is like the biggest as a product person, you've gotta stay curious because the world is always changing and the needs are always changing. And if you don't look at it in weird and funky ways, that everyone else in the industry is gonna be like, No. no. So
0: so you talk, so talk to ahead. me about being in the moment at At the intersection of legacy technology acquisitions because I know you you've got experience there and then the new and shiny roadmap things like at that intersection how do you be mindful and thoughtful right there and maybe you know and maybe not see technical debt as bad or do you see it as bad I don't know I don't want to put words in your mouth
3: (laughs) well so Ready API is built on the foundation of, of SOAP UI open source. Um, it is 15 years old, so I'm not a stranger to technical debt. <laughs> but um, you know what I think is really interesting when you start thinking about product as ecosystem as opposed to product as like thing I stuck in the box, right? Whether that box is digital or like whatever, is you start to think of new ways that you can approach old technology and old problems. So like, I'll give you an example out of, out of ready API land. So um, we just launched support for Apache Kafka and for async API specifications. So you can pull in an async specification for uh, at this point for the Kafka protocol, and you can then wire that together in these journey tests, these scenario tests. So you can, you know, validate your payload, you can deserialize and serialize and all that other wonderful stuff, but you can also then do the next step of like, okay, let's data drive that. Let's take that and then put it into this RESTful endpoint and then do this. And, you know, here's the whole scenario. Here's the whole capability that we're trying to, to evaluate and deliver end to end testing, integration testing, that kind of thing. When we did that, we very deliberately took a different path than had been taken by you know, product managers past in terms of creating that event-driven workflow because we already supported AMQP and uh, MQTT, JMS, blah, blah, blah. And what we're in the process of doing is saying, okay, it wasn't technical debt when we first did it because if people came to us and they were testing MQTT, they weren't really like testing that with REST or with SOAP or with whatever. But now they they are. Like microservices, absolutely they are. Uh, GraphQL and REST, absolutely. And so one of the things that we've done in terms of like, you know, how do we address technical debt is user experience debt. It's how do we want people to have this interaction? Like how do we want them to chain these different things together? And so one of the things that we're working on now is building a common flow for any kind of create, you know, do this data drive, blah, 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 that test step workflow. And that to me is really a powerful way of taking a look at our technical debt, taking a look at our UX debt, and saying, look, this product's gonna be, it's been around for a really long time, it's gonna be around for the future. How does it adapt? How do we make it easier when the next protocol comes along? Because somebody's gonna say, I now have a spec that'll end all specs, and instead of you know 15, we're gonna have 16. <laughs> like how do, you, how do you do that? How do you think about that in a way that enables users? And what are they doing? And what are they trying to do next? And, and allowing that to sort of inform us. So like, we actually have taken a look at our debt and said, well, it's an opportunity because we learned how people interacted with these different types of services. And what we're actually beginning to see is the commonality in those patterns and because we can now look at that and say, okay, well we did this, we did this, we did this, we see the commonality in those patterns, we believe that we can build a stronger experience that actually harmonizes those patterns instead of having them be, you know, 20 tools with a bow around them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's a
0: sh- it's a shared journey too. I mean, because your oh, customers yeah. have the same technical debt too. They still have soap services as well as trying yeah. to figure out GraphQL and do Gherkin and behavioral driven on top. You know, so it's like you you guys share this, and as long as it's about those relationships and that feedback loop with with your, it's experience driven. Then I think yeah. it's shared in that context. Yeah. Um, Well, we're approaching the time, you guys. So I got to do it. I apologize. (laughs) I'm always like, we just can keep going, keep Keep going. We gotta, we gotta end it. Um, This has been great. Thank you. I mean, I love, I love listening to your journey and hearing about this.
3: Oh, this has been super fun, and I'm so glad you guys are doing this because, you know, if people have a better sort of faith in their story, in their journey, like. I want to see more women, more people of color, more LGBTQ, like because those perspectives inform our industry. And like we absolutely should have the API community look like the world that ser- is served by APIs. And it absolutely has that diversity in it. And I would love to see like more people feel empowered. Because if I can do it, seriously. None of y'all should ever be worried. What in heck am I doing here? I will never ever know the answer to this question, but I always have fun kind of getting there, so.
0: Well, I think well, once, we- yeah. oh, go ahead, Mike.
2: I was just gonna say, well, I'm glad you're here. Whatever, however you got here, however, yeah. whatever it is, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I, it's it's fantastic, I just yeah. love it. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, yes. the thing you're doing here is teaching us a whole lot and we're happy that yeah. you spent your time and, and really appreciate the, the fact that you took the time out of your Absolutely. day to come talk to us and share your stories yep. with everyone.
3: Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care.
0: Absolutely. All righty, Allie. Yep. All right. Well, another good one for the books. Wow.
2: Yeah. And and I, uh, you know, Ali Allie and I, we talk every once in a while. And the list of things I learned, sort of sort of what you said before, Aiden, list of things I learn about what she's done or where she's been or what skills she has just constantly grows. And I also kind of Collect up list of things I want to talk about in the future, and you know I brought some of those to our to our uh, to our session here today. But I've got stuff right here in my little list that we never even talked about. She has got so many other things, so many other angles to her experience that are so uh, informative. So, I, like uh, Eden said, I'm really glad she could take the time, and it was just fantastic. I learned something every time.
0: Agreed. Well, um, with that said, I think we got to go into the weekend, you guys. So yes, we do. Thank you. Um, Until next week, I'm going to let you go first, Mike.
2: You Um, betcha. You guys take care. We'll see you next week. We'll do it again. All righty, guys. Have a great one.
0: Well, thanks, Aiden. Um, I do want to get to the barrel discussion, you on a barrel, but we're going to save that for the future. So um, I will see you on the slacks and uh, on the webs until we talk next time. Sounds good. Have a lovely weekend, Ken. Thanks so much. All righty, man. Cheers. Uh, always fun, always fun. Alrighty, see you guys later.